With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. This is Jenny Allen, and you are listening to the Made for This podcast. Dwell is an audio Bible app we have fallen in love with. Dwell's mission is simple, to help you get in the Word and stay in the Word. With several inspiring voices, Bible translations, and original background music, you're going to love listening to Scripture. Go to dwellapp.io slash this to get 10% off a yearly subscription or 33% off Dwell for Life. And now, here's Jenny and JP. Well, I cannot wait for this topic. In fact, I have had, Chloe's had to hold me back from having JP on and us going and doing a little mini series on dating because I feel like this is something that is so difficult these days. It feels like there needs to be a complete makeover when it comes to dating in, especially Christians dating in the world. Like we need a new way to do it. And and JP and I talk about this offline a lot. Um, he's a good friend. If you don't know Jonathan Bacluda, you are going to get to know him today and you're going to appreciate him because what my husband and I always say about JP is he is a voice to this next generation. Like he can say and address things that need to be addressed in such a clear, simple way, in such a biblical way. And so right now, JP, you are talking about dating and I think it matters. You're talking about marriage. You're talking about dating. Those that you have led for a long time would say you're the best at it. He let, he was a leader at the porch, which largely is a 20-something gathering of singles that come together. I mean, it's it's 3,000 plus that come together in Dallas, Texas. So you have actually earned your stripes when it comes to counseling people in the middle of dating and giving them advice. And I know you're passionate about it. Is that where this came from for you? Absolutely. And I mean, you don't you remember? It, it, here's the deal. I don't know that it was ever easy but for you and I and the the generation behind us and generations behind us, it was easier. It's it's gotten complicated. Oh, sure. Like we have complicated this deal. And so anything that I can do to just show the dummy tax that I paid and the lessons that I've learned from watching tens of thousands of other young people effort to navigate this, I, I want to be helpful. I, and my heart, I know because we've talked about this a lot, is is your heart, which is to help people. And so I, I pray that this resource is helpful. Well, let's just go into it and let's talk about what you see that is so broken. Where have we gotten this so wrong? Yeah, well, we've, we've digitized the whole process, right? And so you have, you have guys living in fear, right? They won't ask girls out. They feel like girl standards are so high that they always just say no if somebody does ask them out. Uh, we're we're sliding into DMs, you know, we're ghosting. We don't even have the dignity to follow up with hey, this is where it went wrong, or I don't want to see you anymore. It's just like, hey, if I don't want to see you anymore, I'm just not going to respond to your text messages. And there's no there's no love mm. your neighbor as yourself in that. And so everybody is just is walking around wounded and confused. 
I mean, those are the two words that mark the dating culture in the 21st century, wounded and confused. People are getting married later and they're, they're getting married less. And then the marriages that are happening are, are, are failing more often. So all of the statistics are telling us that we're in the middle of this epidemic. I mean, this, this real challenge that we face in the world of relationships. And when I say marriages aren't working out, we know the divorce rate sits somewhere between 45 and 55%. And then, then on the other side of that, you have all of these people who stay married, but they don't love each other. They're roommates. They're not yeah. happy. And, and the undivorced, right. if you will. And so the reality is the vast majority of marriages fail, but we have more tools and resources and information to help us than we've ever had before. So it, it brought me to this place where I'm just scratching my head, like, where did we go wrong with this? And how do we help the next generation find the love that lasts, like find something meaningful? And I think, Jenny, one thing that it comes down to is just expectations, making sure that everybody has mm -hmm. the same expectations, because, you know, Hollywood, the movies, the magazines, the media, they've, they've really botched that for us. We've been listening to the wrong coaches. I mean, we have been taking dating advice from the people with the highest divorce rates, the, the biggest relationship failure rates. And those are the folks that we've turned to as the experts and say, hey, teach me more about what love looks like, rather than going to the, the author and the originator of love, uh, the one who is love, and, and kind of returning to his word to say, okay, what do you have uh, what is what is your desire in relationships? How can I do this in a way that honors you too? So, well, I know some of the things you talk about in the book. Um, one of them that I've heard you say a lot is that dating wasn't in the Bible. So, even beginning this conversation is kind of loaded and difficult, right? Because there isn't, you know, and I even know you're you're actually doing an arranged marriage, which is how a lot of um, generations before us did it, right? They found their spouse. Their parents picked them, which, hey, sign me up for that. Let me pick my kids' spouses. Yeah. But but talk about just kind of the history and like where, how is this generation so different than than how it was done in the past and specifically biblical times? Yeah. So the dating is nowhere in the Bible, right? You, you mentioned that. But honestly, if we, we took everything out that uh, spoke to relationships, like romantic relationships, it, it's really not a lot. I mean, it's it's a very minority section of the scripture, but it does have these really clear and compelling instructions that we can apply. Uh, the way that relationships were formed then is an arranged marriage, which, you know, I am doing that contest and that raises lots of questions. And it's not because I don't value the covenant of marriage. It's quite the opposite. I really value the covenant of marriage. And what I see in Song of Solomon, chapter one, verse four, is he says, they're, they're, they're friends and their family praised their love more than wine, which is to say those around them praised what they have more than the party, more than the wedding dress, more than the cake and the colors and the flowers. Everyone agreed upon this, this couple. And there's a really fine line between an arranged marriage and a, and a blind date. I don't have any desire to force somebody to get married, and I'm not going to. But I can certainly meet with people and say, hey, you two, I think if you understand the commitment you're about to make, I think that you would make it an amazing husband and wife. But dating this word, it's only about 120 years old. So it didn't exist prior to 120 years ago. And, and when it enters the English language, it is quite literally a euphemism for prostitution. So to go on a date meant to pay for sex. 
So this is the origination of this this method that we use to find someone that we're going to spend the rest of our life with. It's born out of prostitution. It's to exchange an experience for sexual favors. Well, you fast forward in the 21st century, it honestly hasn't evolved all that much. While we still use it as a tool to, to find you know, a spouse, it still very much is, hey, I will exchange, uh, it, you know, at least speaking from worldly perspective, someone will exchange an experience in, uh, you know, for sexual favors. And that's the way the world is doing it. So then you have this Christian culture and population that has kind of adopted this idea say, okay, but well, we want to use this cultural idea and, and how can we redeem it? What does that look like? And I want to be clear up front. I'm not trying to kiss dating goodbye. Like that's not my heart. I'm not saying, Hey, let's do away with it. It's bad. It's, it's of the devil. We need, we need, you know, courting. Let's just play some word games. That's not my heart either, but I am coming at this saying, okay, what is God's desire for relationships and how can we do this in a way that is loving and how can I, can I talk to the men out there and say, Hey, you know, guys ask me all the time, what does it mean to lead in a relationship? And we can, you know, does that mean in, you know, do I have to be married? Does that look like anybody can lead in a relationship? It looks like removing confusion, being honest, being authentic, communicating clearly. This is where my heart is. And this is where I hope it goes. And you can be intentional. And there's a way to be intentional without being intense, without being that, you know, that, that weird Christian guy that's like, okay, let me plan out the next five years of our life together on the first day. You don't have to do that, but you can say, Hey, this is where I see this going. And this is how I hope you feel, or this is how I feel right now. And I want you to know, I'm not going to leave you hanging. I'm, I'm going to call you tomorrow uh, afternoon, and I'd love to follow up. I'd love to see you again. And just clarity, you know, clarity is kindness. And I think this is one area that young adults and my single friends can grow in today is just, just to be clear with each other. Do you think there has been a devaluing of a desire to even get married? Like, is that, have you seen that that has waned for guys? Because I know for girls, it hasn't, but yet they're not necessarily getting married in their twenties. Yeah. For, for Christian girls, it hasn't. And I, and I think because of the way that God made us and wired us, it, there is this deep desire inside of us. And for some people hidden deep inside of them to, to spend the rest of our life with someone but the the message of the God of this air, and that's little G God, the, the prince of this world, is that you don't need marriage. And um, and you can have all the benefits of marriage in friends with benefits and friendationships. And and so I do see this movement as we continue to take our cues from Hollywood, you know, from the people that that haven't figured this out. Yeah, I think there's a devaluation of marriage. It's just like, hey, you don't have to, why do you get married? Like there's there's no shame in having kids outside of outside of a marriage. You don't have to have a wedding. You don't have to wait to have sex. Um, all all the benefits of marriage today, without the commitment, we're we're adverse to commitment. In fact, if I'm going to speak to the next generation on any topic of my choosing, it, it's usually on the topic of commitment, making the right commitments and keeping them, because that's something. And that started in my generation amongst millennials. Is like we're just adverse to commitment. And so marriage being such a really high and lofty commitment, like, no, I'm out on that. I don't want to, I mean, how do I know? What if I change? And I think this comes down to making feelings our God. And so when the the biggest decision, biggest question we ask when making decisions is how do I feel or what do I feel like doing? Then I think there is a a real 
it, it's reasonable to look at marriage and to say, that's really scary because what if my feelings change? And I think my message mm. to the next generation is your feelings will change. They're going to that's change. Right. And that's why you have to have something that carries you forward when your feelings change. I mean, that's why every relationship you've been in, if you look backwards in the rearview mirror, you know, if you're a single person, every relationship you've been in hasn't worked out. And so you're looking forward and you're thinking, what, what's, what's to make me believe that this is going to work out? And the last thing I would say on that, the devaluation of marriage is we, we came after the, the divorce generation. And so all we've seen is broken marriages. Like all we've seen is things not work out. It's like my kids, like one time in our front yard, I had this rope swing. You know what I mean? Like it has like a little wooden disc and it's a swing hanging from mm -hmm. the tree. You know what I'm talking about? And so, so my kids yeah. loved it. Like it was such an amazing source of life for them. Like they're out there and they would, they would swing on this and the, the neighbors would come over and they would play on this swing and, and everybody loved this swing in our front yard. And I was so glad we put it in the front yard because it kind of brought the neighborhood together. And then one day this kid was over and he was a little older and Jenny, he was, you know, how do I say, you know, he, he's a little bigger and he liked, he liked food <laughs> and, and he, he jumped on this, on this rope swing and it broke and all the kids were around there and they all saw it break. And so what I did is I made sure he was okay. And he was, um, and I fixed it. Like I went out there and I fixed the swing and I said, okay, y'all can play again. And they were like, no. And I'm like, no, no, it's fine. It's I fixed it. You can, you can swing. And my kids are like, no, I, we know, we know that it can break. Right. And, and we're afraid of it because we know that it, it, one day we thought it was permanent and we thought that it would hold us and we thought it was strong, but now we see that it can break and we're afraid of it. And I think that, that is what's going on in this generation is all we see is marriages breaking this thing that was meant to be permanent, this thing that was meant to be solid, uh, this thing that was meant to last for a lifetime. All we know is broken marriages. So we're like, man, we don't want any part of that. I don't, I don't want something that's breakable, you know? And so they kind of avoid it. So there also has been in the church historically a overvaluation of marriage where if you don't get married, I think a lot of single women women that I know would say it feels like we don't even have a place in the church, like that that this conversation is just about getting married. And and yet there's also, you know, Paul's pretty clear that it is good for some to remain single. So talk just a little bit maybe to the women that they can't control it. Like they wish they were married, but that's not their place right now. And how do they, you know, walk through this in a biblical way that they would love to be the initiator and the pursuer in, in that position, but for whatever reason, they they feel convicted that that's not the place that they're in. And so they're just kind of waiting for these guys to to come, because that's a lot of who I talk to. I want to say three very important things on this, this topic. One, there's nothing wrong with you that you desire marriage. There's there's nothing wrong with you. And, and more than likely, if you desire marriage, you're probably going to get married, statistically speaking. And... You know, it, it's a good thing to to desire marriage. Don't make it your God, because marriage is a miserable God. Uh, you you don't want to feed that desire so that it grows to an idol. And an idol, and people say, well, what's an idol? How do I know? It's, you, you know, it, it's something you obsess about. You wake up thinking about, you go to bed thinking about, and then all the hours in between you're thinking about. And, and you're feeding those thoughts. I would just say a, a really wise friend of mine, uh, you know, coined this this phrase, get out of your head. And so that's what I would say to, to those friends. I would say, get out nice. of your get out of your head. But I, I would also say you're not 
JV as a single person. It's not like singleness is JV to varsity marriage. That's that's absolutely an unbiblical idea. And I can't, you know, tell someone if marriage is promised to them, but I can tell someone if they have the gift of singleness. I, in fact, I can tell somebody a hundred percent with a hundred percent accuracy of any person I've ever met. I can tell them whether they have the gift of singleness or not. And, uh, and really I can tell them just this by just asking them one simple question. It's is one survey question. And, and if they answer this question in affirmative, they have the gift of singleness. And the question is simple, simply, did you wake up this morning single? And if the answer is yes, then you have the gift of singleness. And they think, oh gosh, well, did it come with a receipt? Can I take it back? Can I exchange it for something else? And I would just say, right. no, I'm not saying like chronic singleness and I'm not saying ter- terminal singleness. I don't know that if you're, if you're going to get married in the future, but I know that today, that's the gift that you have today. And the, the way the Bible talks about the gift of singleness is it's not like it's permanent until you get to the words you, you, you reference Paul in first Corinthians seven, he says, you know, I wish all of you were as I am, which is single, but some of you have that gift and others have this gift. He calls singleness a gift, but, but Paul is really just plagiarizing the words of Jesus Christ, our Lord and savior, the one that we follow, the one that we're named after in Matthew 19, he talks about people who are celibate for the sake of the kingdom. And he says, not everyone can accept this, but those who can should. And Jesus is the most complete human being that has ever walked the face of this earth. And he says, it's good to be single, but he also puts his life behind that statement because Jesus, who could have married anybody he wanted, remained single for the sake of ministry. And so I think for someone to say, hey, I'm single, I have this gift today, how can I use it for the sake of the kingdom today? I think that's an incredible perspective. And then the last thing I'll say on this topic, Jenny, that, that mm. you, you may want to edit out, it may be controversial, is I, I think girls feel completely and totally helpless in, in this, and they don't know what to do. And you know, girls ask me all the time, if, if I'm interested in a guy, can I let him know? And I would just say, yes, is my, I don't see anything. I'm not editing that out. Amen. I don't see anything (laughs) in the scripture that forbids you from, from letting a guy know that you're interested in it. There's, there's no, thou shalt not, you know, make the first move or whatever. And I don't even like that word, make the first move. I I think it's Romans 12, nine just says love must be sincere. And so I think under the banner of sincerity, if you have feelings for somebody, it's okay to say, man. You know what? I feel in assuming they're they're in a healthy relationship with Jesus, and you're in a healthy relationship with Jesus. I don't want my 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 lady friends to feel completely, absolutely helpless, like they're just waiting, you know, for something to happen. And and I you know be careful with that because I do think you can start to put all your hopes and dreams on that that ask and that initiation, and that's not healthy either. But but there are some things to think through. To, to desire marriage is is to desire a good thing. It's not bad. There's nothing wrong with you that you that you want it. Uh, Paul, the greatest missionary that has ever lived, and Jesus, both of these guys were single uh, the majority of their life, Jesus his entire life, and they did incredible ministry out of that singleness. And and you can, I believe, the Bible allows you to um, initiate, and so you're not just left waiting. 
I know you and I agree on on this a little bit, and this might be controversial too to a lot of you, but how much do you think attraction needs to play a role in this? Yeah. Attraction does exactly what the name says, is it attracts. And so attraction, and this is single friends, okay, I want you to lean in on this. I I know I'm your world's going to be rocked a little bit, but but hear me out and then leave <laughs> leave here and wrestle with it and forward this to your friends and you guys go and debate it, get in your small group and, and hash it out because just, just hear me out on this. Attraction attracts. So attraction causes you to have a conversation across the room because you saw them, they caught your eye and now you're in that conversation. But but Proverbs 31.30 says, you know, charm is deceitful and beauty is fleeting. So what the Bible tells us about physical looks is that it's fleeting, that it's going away, that it's a depreciating asset. Here's another way to say that. We're all getting uglier and everyone's offended. And I would just say, listen, how many 80-year-olds are you physically attracted to? Like how many, how many, you know, how many, you know, 75 year olds are you like, Oh my goodness. Did you see her? She's, or did you see him? Like, wow, those wrinkles really do it for me. Uh, and we're all going that way. Like gravity's taking its toll on our body. Like I, I just hit 40, you know, I look back on our honeymoon pictures and I'm like, who are those people? Wow. And we're not them anymore, you know? And, and, and so and <laughs> my wife's still very beautiful, but in reality, right, we are all going the way and we're, we're moving toward dust, returning back to dust. And so to marry someone or to choose a, a permanent partner based on a depreciating asset that is fleeting and changing is extremely foolish. So you, you want to, mm. you know, in 1 Samuel 16, God says to Samuel, he says, I don't look at what man looks at. I look at the heart. And so you want to ask God to help you be attracted to what he's attracted to, which is not the outward appearance. The scripture is very clear on this. Like God's, what God values most in a person is not what they look like on the outside. And so if we don't, if we value a person based on what they look like on the outside, we don't, uh, we're not attracted to the same things God's attracted to. And so I'm not saying that you need to go be a martyr right? And, and find the ugliest person you can and ask them to marry you. What I am saying is beauty is fleeting. And it's fleeting in a number of ways, because what do you do if you marry uh, a guy who, who's, you know, just has six pack abs and, and a beautiful face and everything's symmetrical and everything is, is where it should be. And then you go on the honeymoon and you get in a wreck and he slides a hundred yards on his face, right? And he's he's a quadriplegic for the rest of his life and you're changing diapers. Like, do you say, well, oh, my goodness, God must've made a mistake. I made a mistake. I need to divorce him. This isn't in the cards for me, you know? And I know that's such a morbid thought, but I go to that extreme example to make the point that there has to be something in the covenant love that we make with somebody in a marriage that goes beyond what they look like because looks change, people change. And yeah, and so I, I would just say attraction, physical attraction attracts. It attracts two people, it allows them to have a conversation, but it's not a whole lot more beneficial beyond that. you 
following along for any period of time, you've probably heard us talk about the Dwell app. It is a audio Bible app unlike anything we've ever listened to before. And there is a voice or a narrator on the Dwell app that we particularly love called Felix. And we just wanted you to hear Felix for yourself. So check this out. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. To get started with Dwell, go to dwellapp.io slash made for this to get 10% off a yearly subscription or 33% off Dwell for Life. 33% off means you save $50. So make sure to visit dwellapp.io slash made for this and commit to scripture for the rest of 2021 or for life. Okay, let's talk about this idea that pornography has somewhat corrupted dating and marriage. I mean, it certainly has. And and I know you address this full on, which is one reason we believe in you so much as a leader for this generation, because you are really bold about your own struggles with that in your past. And, and you've just seen it. You've seen it wreak havoc on both sides of this, right? It's not just guys. Girls struggle with it too. So so how would you say that's playing into the brokenness of dating and marriage for this generation? Yes, yeah, so you take 70% of the guys that you know and just understand that 70% of them have recently looked at explicit images of, of people they're not married to. And then you take the entire pipeline of the internet, the freeway that is the internet, and understand that half of all of that traffic, nearly half, is, is pornography. And and then you understand that one in all of, of one in every three viewers of pornography are female. So it's not just a male problem; it, it's also a female problem. And you better believe that when we have trained ourselves to be serial adulterers, that it's going to impact the marriage rate. It's going to impact the marriage age. It's going to impact our view of sex. It's going to impact our, our view of the opposite sex. And so it's changing all of these things. And so for me, Jenny alluded to, so I, I've, I've, I became a Christian later in my life. I've, I've experimented with drugs, cocaine, ecstasy, was an alcoholic for a season, loved the party, became a Christian at 21 years of age. Different vices have gripped my heart. Nothing owned my life like pornography. I mean, I, would, I was so addicted to pornography. I would take off of work so that I could go home and binge on porn. And, when I, and then I became a Christian. I gave my life to Jesus. I got accountability. I, I found, I sought healing and freedom and I got married. And I said this, this insanely naive prayer at the altar was just after the altar. After we walked down the aisle, I held my wife in my arms and in, in the foyer of the chapel. And I said, God, thank you for allowing me to escape the consequences of my sin. And specifically, I meant my sexual sin. And even more specifically, I meant my addiction to pornography. And Two years into marriage, I realized how naive that prayer was because I had gone to a university. I had methodically trained my mind for polygamy so that I had no mm -hmm. idea how to operate in the land of monogamy, that I would stay committed to this woman. I didn't know how to do that, right? An addiction to pornography is not an addiction to sex. An addiction to pornography is an addiction to variety. And I don't say mm. this to create insecurities in your listeners, I'm telling you, as a, a man who has a really healthy marriage, we just celebrated 16 years. I love my wife. We've been committed to each other. Jesus is at the center of what we do. I, I have found healing and freedom, and there is hope for you. 
but you want to pursue that healing. And and if you're dating someone who's addicted to porn or you're considering marrying someone who was addicted to porn, you just want to make sure that they have, too, found that freedom and that healing and that they have a committed relationship with Jesus Christ. But it, it, it has changed what we're attracted to. If you look through the evolution of what people have found attracted, attractive, um, you know, there's, there's just, you know, lots of different variations through time, but more and more we're attracted to, uh, and I'll, I'll speak to guys, uh, I'll speak for guys right now it is, is like, you see, generally speaking, it's like the, the porn star, uh, shape and image. And, and so it's, it's, we've trained, uh, we've exchanged what is real for counterfeit. And so mm-hmm. you know, I think it's CS Lewis said that if you, you know, you, you, you sneak over the fence to steal the fruit. It doesn't taste as good when you go through the gate. And that's what I see more and more in marriage counseling is people who can't enjoy the gift of intimacy because they have conditioned themselves to, to the, to the counterfeit option of pornography. And, uh, man, I, I, I used the word epidemic earlier. That's an epidemic. Yeah. It's, it's making me just so nauseous just listening to this because I know that this is behind a lot of the frustrations that that people are feeling and and it's not talked about enough and so I don't I you know we can't move on from this and we've talked about this on the podcast before I had Mike Todd on and he shared a similar message in this and 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 what I want to do is just give everybody a chance to go okay what's the first step if 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 you are dating somebody that you think is addicted to pornography, or maybe they've they've said it. If you are married to somebody that is addicted, or if you yourself are addicted right now, what would you say kind of the next first, you know, step needs to be the cry for help? I just think like Romans 6 talks about being dead in sin. And when I, I think about somebody who's addicted to pornography, they're, they're flatlined on the table, they're dying. And the thing that comes to mind is like they need, and I use this as an acronym, a metaphor, they need CPR. So if you remember that CPR, and so the first, the C is confess. They need to confess and bring it to the light. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other for the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. And so we you, we need to bring it to the light. Like the, the enemy is going to eat our lunch in the darkness. The, the roaring lion is going to get the best of us if we keep this to ourselves. You have to bring it to the light and confess it to someone who loves Jesus who's going to help you. The second thing I would say to do is pray. And that's not a one-time prayer. When I found healing from pornography, it was because I prayed like my life depended on it. Like, God, every morning, you have to help me, God. You have to help me control my thoughts, turn my thoughts, replace this with, with healthy activity. And, uh, and so that's the second part of that verse, James 5, 16. To, and pray for each other for the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. They help you find healing. Um, the R, so confess, pray, CP, and the R is remove access. And so you want to audit, how am I accessing porn? Is it via my phone? Is it via the, the internet, my, my laptop? Is it magazines? What, what is it that I'm, what am I doing? To, is it Netflix? How am I accessing porn? And I, cause I want to remove that from my life. I, I want to get rid of my phone. I want to get rid of my laptop. And people are like, man, that sounds legalistic. Like get rid of my phone. Are you serious? What Jesus says in Matthew five, he says, if your eye causes you to send, gouge it out and throw it away. If your hand causes you to send, cut it off. So Jesus, he's not a legalist, right? He just knows how deadly sin is and how much it wants to kill you and how much it wants to rob you of, of a healthy marriage and, and keep you in a, in a perpetual dissatisfied state with your, your sexuality and all things relationships. 
And so he's just saying, hey, do whatever it takes to to get rid of how you're accessing this. And then I've heard someone say, I know no greater way to overcome sin than to find a superior satisfaction in Jesus. And so it's like we have to be discipled. Like this generation must, like everyone who's listening to this should have a, a mature follower of Jesus who's investing in them. Uh, teaching them the Bible, pouring into them, like like teaching them to enjoy the things of God, and uh, and I think as you replace that unhealthy activity or habit with a healthy habit of pursuing Christ, then you will truly find freedom. So CPR, confess, pray, remove access, and then I would I would say pursue a healthy relationship with Jesus. Okay, we've talked about a lot, and I love every subject. In fact, I've. I've I came in JP and I was like these are the things we got to hit and the last one we've got to hit is online dating. It it definitely is or it seems to me the the way or the means a lot of people are are starting to date and to meet these days. What do you what do you think about it? Do you think it's an okay way? What what yeah, give us your thoughts on that. Yeah, you know, like we we talked about dating being this relatively new phenomenon. And so of course the the Bible doesn't address online dating cuz it you know, the, the, the internet was not here and there weren't app, apps. And so it's it's a method. And I think it's also C.S. Lewis who says something, and I'll paraphrase, however great something's potential for good, equally great is its potential for evil. And that, that's how right. I feel about all things online. And that's how I feel about specifically online dating. I have, I've done weddings of people who've met through apps, met through online dating, and, and granted, you can't judge obedience by the outcome, but I don't see anything in the scripture that directly prohibits online dating. And I'm just a simple guy. I just teach the Bible. You know, I, I found wisdom in in the source that God has given us, his scriptures. And so if God doesn't forbid it, I'm really slow to forbid it. But I would say there's some things that you should go in eyes wide open and know and understand about online dating. And so one is profiles lie. And so, I mean, people can be whoever they want to be behind a screen. And so you have zero reason to trust that someone is a Christian just because they say they are, even if they've memorized some verses or, you know, they're telling you where they go to church. I think you have to be more skeptical. And I don't like being skeptical. I, I want to be an optimist. But I think in the world of online dating, you need to proceed with caution. And my my much more preferred method of finding a spouse is an arranged marriage. And here's what I mean by that. Okay. Don't, don't just take that soundbite and edit it. What I mean by an arranged marriage is other people around you saying, you know what? I think that you would be great with him. I think that you would be great yep. with her. Like I, y'all should meet. Hey, I'm going to send y'all on a date, man. Y'all spend some time together, your family, like having your community and your, your church family and your immediate family believers around you speaking into that. And that's the deficit, Jenny, that I see in this generation is that like that we just don't have people pouring into us at that level that they're saying, hey, this is where I think you you could really thrive. And so it's like I I don't think it's a sin to to use online dating platforms. I just hate that we have to. I think it's a symptom. I don't think it's a sin, but I do think it's a symptom of something unhealthy in our dating culture and relationship building culture that we don't have believers around us saying, man, y'all too, you guys need to go 
go on a date. Like y'all need to spend some time together. Yeah, I could really see that being, uh, you know, just a strengthening of ministry. The two of you coming together and, and forming a union. Like y'all should y'all should go do that. And so it's again, you, you can you can I think uh, date online. I hate that it's necessary, and you need to do so with a lot of caution. I, I I'm not a mm-hmm. big fan of even going on a date with strangers personally, meaning like just you know, where you just show up and and you don't like nobody's vouched for that person. You don't know them. You don't know where they're from, their background or anything. Like, yep. like someone asked me recently, they said, well, how do I find out if the person I'm on a date with is a Christian? And I would just say, man, I hope, I hope you found that out way before you committed time to them, you know, it, and th- that's just, that's a big rock. That's, that's really, really important. So. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, we just did this for a friend that that we chased down a lead. Like she was online dating and this guy seemed really great and they had had several conversations and they were about to meet. And we just, we saw the little town he was from and we started like, everybody was looking for the friends there and we we chased it down. And sure enough, he was he was not somebody she needed to go be with. And, you know, she listened to us and, and respected that and walked away. But I do think there are ways to do it. It just takes a lot more work. And, and I, yeah, I can't agree more with what you're saying right now. Here's what here's the deal, guys, is is this is hard. This is messy. And I don't know that either of us sitting here talking about this can fully appreciate how hard this is. Um, I got married young, but I I'm watching it play out with a lot of people I love. And it's true. It's this is just hard. And so the more you have community, like JP saying around you that can walk through it with you. I mean, this is the book I'm writing right now, JP, about village life and how we're some of the first generation and some of the only people alive on earth that don't live in a village context where everybody knows each other. You know, it's like Gilmore Girls where, every, you know, everybody lived in this little bitty town and everybody knew each other and somebody comes in from the outside and the whole town's going to protect Rory. You know, I mean, this is this is the way that most every generation has lived so visible, so seen. And so building that into your life right now, if you are single, like you know, committing to a small group, committing to be accountable to people. I just think that is part of the way we've got to choose to live and be really intentional. And and I do think of my friend Jen when you're telling you know that that about community and asking your friends. And that's what exactly what she did is she basically told every married friend she had, "I want to date and I want to get married. Would you you know introduce me to anybody that you think would be a good fit?" And sure enough. One of her friends' friends is who she ended up on a date with, and and they worked out, and they're married very happily several years in. So I do think community should play a bigger part in all this. You know, people will think, oh, gosh, that sounds so desperate. She sounds desperate. And I'm like, no, that sounds so healthy. That sounds like the 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 ask of a healthy young woman. And 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 less desperate. And I don't, you know, I'm I don't I'm not trying to shame anybody in this, but then than online dating. I mean, to go to your friends and to say, hey, this is a desire of my heart. Can you help me find someone? Just sounds so healthy. Well, and I think single, I've heard this for my single friends. They assume that we're looking out for them. But the truth is, a lot of us have a lot of single friends. And so when somebody intentionally comes to you and says, hey, I would love in this season of my life, I've done, you know, I have strong community. I have, I'm happy serving, you know, God in this context, whatever it is. I just would love a partner to do it with. Will you introduce me to anybody you know? All of a sudden, they just moved to the top of my list to think about the people I know and and would anybody be a good fit for them? And so 
I just encourage you guys to do it. Even if, you know, ask old married couples, they they have nephews and single friends, you know, like ask people, not just your young 20 something friends, ask, for, you know, anyone you respect and love and think we need, we need those people in our lives. I appreciate you, JP. I appreciate you going to the hard places. And I'm really praying that this catalyzes just a new way for guys and girls to date and to interact because man, it is needed. So thank you so much for for writing the book and for for coming and helping and giving dating advice to my kids they they will text because jp is a good friend they're like let's ask jp this and so anyway you've been you've been a good friend to our whole family great, so great you. you have great kids i love the allens i'm so thankful for the way that god is using you and thanks for having me on friend it's been a blast Hey guys, wasn't that incredible? I want to make sure that you know about JP's new book because you need to run, not walk to get a copy. It's called Outdated, Find Love That Lasts When Dating Has Changed. Everybody you know that is dating right now or will be dating needs to get a copy of this book. You can find it anywhere books are sold and we'll make sure to put the link in the show notes too. Thanks so much for listening today. We hope you guys have a great week and we will see you next time for another episode of the Made for This podcast. Podcast.